Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Interjections Podcast. Uh, the four of us like to go through the 1990s, and we we started doing well. We started doing three, four years ago uh, this undiscovered decade podcast to look back at the uh, hidden gems of the 1990s, and we've gotten all our, all the way up to March 1993. Uh, and as you can see it behind Corey's shoulder. There's a, there's a guy you guys uh, might love to do an uh, impression of sometimes. You know, little, you can little bit, little you look bit. at your pockets. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, okay, so uh, it's a uh, thriller cop movie. It's really not. It's a comedy. Uh, uh, starring Robert De Niro, Uma Thurman, and Bill Murray. As the, did he just read that? <laughs> <laughs> as Bill Murray, as a quote unquote villain, he's not really, he, he's a gangster, but he's like, so lovable. Um, yeah, he's still kind of lovable, but like, um, I don't know if he's lovable. So, so, some some parts where he tries to play, play off as sinister, it's like it's Bill Murray, and like, I think that's part of the joke, like Bill Murray trying to be a bad guy, and like, there's a reason Jimmy's hidden in the dark a little bit, he's a little shadowy this week he's not the typical charismatic yeah uh, wild been, uh, card that we uh always yeah. have i've been shunned to the darkness he and just there's, he... there's why you got to what i was trying to say yeah. jimmy isn't really a bad guy but when you're in the shadows you seem like you are yeah so that's why jimmy and i've kind of i'm a shady fellow it was an interesting yeah the, we... the role reversal did we did and... we figure out if how much truth was to that or if it was just an urban legend about how you know, it's in IMDb trivia that they okay. switch roles. Apparently, well, then, what happened was because I never told you what I found in the trivia. It's um that Bobby was offered the role of Frank Milo, but and that's the part Bill Murray eventually plays the the mafia kingpin. And he said he's like, "What if I play this guy, Mad Dog? He's meeker. I can try something different." So then they went to Murray. So I don't know if yeah. they had him in in mind for. The Meeker character, but so I don't know if they actually switched. But I, I feel like, De, yeah, I feel like De Niro is the kind of guy he read the script. I'm like, I kind of like this is my guy. I want to be yeah. this guy. Weirdly yeah, enough, but, when you see De Niro in interviews, he's more like the Mad Dog character. Yeah, reserved. Yeah, yeah, reserved, quiet, introverted. Yeah, I mean the brilliance makes of, sense. The the best part of you know the appeal of this film was the the. Both of them were playing against type for the most right. part. Yeah. Which was probably refreshing for both of them. A little weird at times. Yeah. But like, like it's not... your, your body's still trying to like, your brain's still trying to <laughs> make that connection and be like, I can't tell if Bill Murray's like trying to still be the funny guy, but also being the, like it, it was a little bit disjointed because we didn't get the sinister vibe that he was probably hoping for because right. he's Bill Murray. Think... It was get... smart that they, I don't know if after they hired Bill Murray, if they added this stand-up background. Right. Because that's a well, good way for you to, uh, yeah. <clears throat> like, get acclimated towards him. Yeah. See, I thought that that was interesting because it was a good way to introduce the fact that he was the, the mafioso. Because yeah. none of the jokes in his act were funny, but everyone was laughing like it was the funniest thing they'd ever seen. Yeah, I mean, right. does, and then you find out later that it's because like he owns his, the club. Yeah, right. but like his first his first joke was like kind of like kind of a uh, 
kind of given because like his like his first joke was like oh yeah no uh the Costa Nostra or uh, is that am I yeah yeah, yeah. Costa Nostra yeah whatever no, like, basically, right. uh, like what is that that's Italian for the family right right or our thing. The, that's the the mom, our yeah. thing he, he flat out says <laughs> the Costa Nostra like us guys when we're born like when we're ba- like like one of those like like those kind of jokes like like referencing like oh you know when we grow up blah 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 yada yada like when we're born blah yada yada and then like so on and so forth uh so like uh i mean at first when i was watching i thought he was just a comedian hired to play a gig for the mob but no yeah no he's in the mob in fact he's Mm -hmm. like one of one like uh one of the uh a head guy because like he says he's a guy that collects money i don't think he's like a a kingpin like he's the right you're right i think he's like i think he's like one of the underdogs but it's like he's high ranking so he can if he needs to put a hit on a guy he can put a hit on who is the guy in uh what was that dustin hoffman movie we watched in 1990 where he he was uh the head of the the family in that is november nicole kidman bruce willis had a cameo Oh, oh, Billy Bathgate. Yeah, yeah see, see how memorable that was. Um, so in Billy Bathgate, he has that. I legit don't remember command. Dustin Hoffman being in there. He's Doug yeah. Schultz. Yeah, a real life gangster. Um, uh, so, so he has. Oh, there we go. Yeah, the, the second in command and the guy that would collect money. He's like that third guy that just screws them over in the end. Yeah. He's that rank, so he's probably not even high up. And that's why he's kind of bored. He's looking for something else to do. So yeah, he gets and like one one of uh, Bill Murray's things is like uh, he he uh, how he situationally befriends uh, De Niro. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like De Niro just gets done like checking out a crime scene because like he's a detective, like and like he's not like he's a, a crime scene that... analyst. Yeah, <laughs> not even a uh, meek. He's basically well, no, no, he's an still, accountant. He's still... No, he's yeah. still a detective. Uh, he never just investigates like his, anything. Yeah, no, no. His his job is no. He does. Does he get the photo? Yeah, he, he figures out the he investigates. The yeah, because uh, like certain yeah. parties. He's, uh, he's he's not the most stand up. Uh, okay, okay. He's a stand up guy, but he's not. Um, he's not the manliest in terms of stereotype. And he's meek. It, yeah, he's meek, and it bugs him a little bit because it's like I'm not the tough guy. I'm just a, I'm just a good guy, and I'm just a, a good guy situation. in a bad situation. Two guys, two guys in a bad situation. But it's this really is... just him. Bill Murray's character also bails, and then Robert De Niro's like, "You need to call the cops. We could, we, I got to catch this guy." Blah blah blah, blah. and they're like, and Bill Murray's character's like, "You're a cop? Hell no!" And just walks right out. And then that's like, and he's right, like, "Wait, so... aren't you the shop?" And that's when you find out like he's not the shop owner because like Bill Murray's character is like, "No, no, the shop owner's over there, dead in the cabinet." So, uh, but go on. so so the two of them uh, form an unlikely friendship. And I think this is because the two of them are in lines of work that don't lend themselves to open up to other people. Like De Niro's off at night doing the crime scene investigations. He's sleeping during the day. So he never gets time to go out. And when he goes out, it's when everyone's at work. So he's not even trying to make friends. He sort of talks to the neighbor across the hall and she sort of flirts with him and he doesn't get it. Uh, meanwhile, Frank Milo is this underling in the mafia that is just looking for an extension that isn't just the family. So you, you never, neither of them express that to each other, but you can tell when they first meet up and hang out that night when... Oh, no, Bill Murray expresses that to him. He's oh, like, like, at the end? Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. The, the next day, 
the next day when Bill Murray's character uh like gets in touch with uh De Niro, um he sends his one of his henchmen to uh, the bar is like, Hey, look, come down to the club, uh, here's an invitation. And then like after they go to the he after De Niro goes to the club, sees Murray, uh, they go out to the diner, and that's when Murray says, like, hey, look, I just I just I'm a good guy. I could I'm the arbiter of your dreams. Like I could make any that's of your wishes key. come true. And like, yeah, and he just wants to do this guy a solid because uh Bill Murray's character apparently has a therapist. It was like, no, 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 no. That that cop, he did a that good thing that for trend you. Like, yeah. With the Sopranos and so, everything. So great. You know, so Bill Murray comes and is like, well, I should apologize. I was acting like a dick. I I probably should have helped you out a little bit. I bailed on you. You you saved my life. I'm sorry. Let me help you out. And part of helping him out is uh sending a chick to live with him for a week. Yeah, what a what a weird gift. <clears throat> oh, well, he's in the mob. What like what what's what's your idea of a gift as a normal person? What's your idea of a gift as a, you know, a weird mobster that has a comedy club. Right. I'm mean, technically what, indebted to him. What do I have to give my new friend who's right. lonely and doesn't have a wife, but seems to think that he wants one? A hand job? Uh, yeah, exactly. That's essentially yeah, he, what he's giving him. Yeah. Uh, For a but, week. But he doesn't, un, he underestimates De Niro and the thinks that, that keeps on giving. He thinks that uh, he's just getting his friend, his new friend laid. Because she's an object. Uma Thurman's character is an object to Bill Murray. And so he underestimates that Wayne, the character De Niro is playing, will actually uh, want to save her. And or just... What did, you, what did you put at the end this was like? This reminded you of it. It's like pretty woman meets good fellas. Yeah. Because this uh, guy that discovers well, someone in a well, situation what, that she what, can't get out of and he wants to save her. With that last scene, it, it, it reminded me, even though I'd never seen it, it reminded me more of a, uh, um, you know, I don't do, I don't do theater. Uh, so you're going to have to help me out, uh, remember the name of this one. Um, mm -hmm. It's a big one too. It's popular. Uh, Spielberg made a remake recently. Uh, West Side Story. Uh, there we go. Especially because you had the gangsters and the cops have a little yeah. ball outside. So like. That's also oh, Romeo over, and Juliet. Over a girl. Yeah. Over a girl. So like. Romeo there, there was a little bit of that, especially at the end. Yeah, it is a little. That. There, there is a little Romeo and Juliet. Have they, have they ever done a Romeo and Juliet cops and robbers sort of thing? Has I don't. Happen? I don't think huh. so. I mean, it's a trope. I mean, the Bob Lerman one. I'm sure someone has yes. some some because because it's some lifetime schlock. Yeah, it yeah. starts off as a love that could never be. Well, they shouldn't. No, no, we can't. It's yeah, a I lot, think... and then they just well, go right in, just right in. I there also pretty... is a bit of like you know human trafficking in there as well oh, right. because at one point he like does the math to figure out okay you want her here's how much she's worth to me and then he literally tries to buy her freedom weird side note uh at the comedy club does anybody notice who's introducing bill murray yeah Just we're killing... Passed away. oh yeah we're killing oh, everybody on this show richard belzer yeah the mc of the club um, I thought De Niro actually did a pretty good job for the most part when he's menacing, he's capably menacing when he pins like De Niro up against the wall with a threat of violence and if we know anything about Bill Murray's off-screen shenanigans that's not too far off for him. So, yeah. And yeah. This is like the third Bill Murray movie that we spotlighted so 
clearly he's been doing a lot of underrated jumps throughout the decade and his career takes kind of a dive later in the decade but i think i think that's what was happening he's popular in the 80s people don't know exactly what to do with him in the 90s and he's trying new things but they're not exactly working like he tries to direct with quick change our first one uh i think he does another good movie with uh john mcnaughton the director of this which is a wild things which also mixes like thriller and comedy and that's that's bookending this decade. So he really doesn't have anything in between this and that, unfortunately. This is the end of the hurricane season, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Yeah. Hurricane, yeah, that's right. Because he has Man Who Knew Too Little and what was the elephant movie? Larger Than Life. Yeah. Really bad. And there's not much else. So uh, unfortunate for him, but then he picks it back up when he meets Wes Anderson and he has a second chapter to his career. So... Right. He has a bright future once he gets to the 2000s and he pops up in other things like Broken Flowers with Jim Jarmusch and he gets he gets like a second lease on like Lost in Translation. So he, he gets yeah. all these auteurs that were young in the early 90s that build him back up in his later life. So I think the part of the thing that really helps the movie stand out aside from the leads or some of the supporting characters like uh, David Caruso and Mike Starr. Oh, yeah. The movie. They, they, they almost, had they almost outshine the leads. Yeah, they, they add an extra bit of uh color to uh being a side character. Every every time I looked over at Jimmy, whenever David Caruso was on screen, Jimmy was just beaming. Yeah, because this is the most like lively he's ever because like watching him on CIS, he's so just like monotone and dry. See, <laughs> but like here is like He's yeah. wily as shit. Like, you don't want to pick a fight with him. Yeah. Yeah, that is... Well, him and Mike Starr get into a fight at the end, and it's the most... It's a good fight. He was he yeah. was the most it was, it top was... of them all. Yeah. It was, it was, it was very... He got it. Uh, it, was, it was very anime, he, the way... He understood uh, the assignment. The fight ended, because, yes. like, neither neither man could win. Can't help Two men enter, other. one man leave. <laughs> yeah, but bo- bo- both men were just like... They beat the crap out of each other this scrawny wily irish dude and this big giant like italian dude one cop one mafioso and they're just wailing on each other in uh wayne's apartment and like wayne and uh, uh, uh yeah wayne and uh what's uh bill murray's character again um frank frank, frank from milo i can remember the milo apartment not the break but so like frank and uh, uh wayne oh, walk funny. into wayne's apartment and then like they're they're just both sitting there, just like kind of panting and just taking a break from fighting, and their faces are all beat up. And they're like, "Yeah, no." One one of the like few like really good lines from Bill Murray came like right after that fight. There, he just like looks at Wayne. And is like, "So you you have other guys fight your uh, wars for you?" And then he goes, "Well, I'm one to talk." <laughs> yeah, like, that's, all that's right, one of the best jokes. Okay, it's like, all right, come on, let's, let's just talk about this. Let's just like, <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, he's like. He's a weird gangster that kind of just half crumbles on things, but like he's just being well, kind of nice. He's like, like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna get something. Like I'm gonna get my money. And something's like something's gonna come out of this. I think but I'm this is one more shot. <laughs> one one of the best taglines I've ever seen because I just looked up the poster for this movie and oh. it, like of all of the the movies that I've seen, um, this actually sums it up pretty good on the on the poster. A cop who'd rather be an artist. A mobster who'd rather be a comic, and a woman who'd rather be anywhere but between them. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, it's accurate. Enough. So dumb, but absolutely one thousand percent accurate. Because that's yeah. kind of that's it. It's all you need. Yeah. And then it's just like it feels like they fed them that tagline and just said go. 
Like, yeah. I don't even know how much of a script there was. I was going to say, in an alternate universe, this could have played real broad, but I think Richard Price's script is very literate. Like, like uh, the the line that um <clears throat> that Jimmy said, uh, the facilitator of his dreams. Like, um, yeah. So, yeah. Just well, expediter. I said expediter, but I'm pretty sure Bill Murray said Phil's, Phil's, I, oh, I it's it's expediter. Expediter. Oh, expediter. There we go. That's what it is. The performances were great. It was just like a matter of how much they were given from the script. And then I, like, it I felt like at, at, at points it felt like they were playing against type and they were just like not sure what to do. It, it for once felt like Murray never riffed. He's just, he's actually writing down, or they knew how to write for him, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, there was one part I, de- I definitely think he improvised when uh, he's in the diner with De Niro and um, Mike Starr's like, I think that's Phil Donner. He's like, why don't you put that magazine down before you hurt yourself? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they they seem to be able to play off each other really well. So maybe the fact that Mike Starr has some comedy chops, maybe they just had good chemistry. <clears throat> yeah, so it the, is weird. The banter feels real. De Niro and um, <clears throat> Murray have really good chemistry together, along with De Niro and subsequently Uma Thurman, who we haven't really talked much about, but mm-hmm. I think she's great in the movie too. She, I, she doesn't get enough praise because she could have easily played this as manipulative. And at one at, at certain points in the movie, you're not quite sure what her loyalty is, right, or allegiance is to. But then by the end, it seems very heartfelt and genuine that she wants to be with Wayne. Yeah, I think they cut away before she ever goes inside because you're not sure that it's actually going to work out. But it's the graduate ending, <clears throat> right? You you want them to end up together, so that's a little ambiguous. They, they yeah. stop it there, but I think she genuinely wants him to be safe, at the very least, and she actually likes him. I mean, she does have sex with him, so she's actually physically yeah. attracted to him. Right. I don't think or, it's just I because mean... she's over. Right. Uh, well, at the point at the point when they you know first have sex, like you're you you're like kind of like there's still part of you that kind of thinks like, is she doing it because like she has to or right? He doesn't force it per se, so yeah, it's I think genuine. Yeah. But well, it's not, not that sure. he, like he he never did force the uh, uh sex. He was just kind of like he was just there, and it's like kind of like he was tempted, but then like he definitely like backed off and is like yeah no no i'm not doing this she and was then, more like, so the proactive one right yeah and but like she, she, is, she did it is she proactive because she's being forced to be yeah because like it's her it's her job it, or right. yeah but like what would like then then again like how how's how's frank gonna really know like she right. could just tell him like yeah no i had sex with him and it was fine so like right it takes a little bit for the viewer to like or at least for me to be like, okay, so maybe uh, she is into him? Until, like, you know, they go around to it. It's like, okay, yeah, no, she's into him. I mean, that's certainly what we're supposed to think in 1993. If this were made today, I don't know what the actual politics would be. Would they get subtler yeah. with things? Would they get the minutiae of what her character actually wants? Because I still think in the 90s, they don't give women a lot of agency in certain respects. But I think this is on the right path. At the very least. I think plot-wise, she has to be like that. Because <laughs> right. uh, she's in debt because of her brother, right? Right. Yeah. So then it kind of negates any possibility of decision-making on her part. Right. But I think by having her initiate, it gives her any agency. So, Because right. uh, she could just not go through with it. 
I think. I think that'd be a different story. Right. I think in the beginning, like, yeah, in the beginning, she still feels obligated to Frank. But then, like, as the thing goes on, she she sort of has this realization that she doesn't necessarily need to be involved in either of them. But this guy's being nice, mm. to her, so she'll try to make things work out for him and as best she can in that situation. And um, and then I don't know. They become better people for it. Yeah. Uh, I also want to point out that uh, I think. De Niro has a bit of, uh, I don't know how to put this, but I don't want to just say subtlety. He has different characteristics with his chemistry, with with his interactions with all the supporting cast and Frank as well as the lead. Because yeah. uh, <laughs> he opens up to Frank, obviously, in the, the montage where they become best friends. Um, he's more reserved with Kathy Baker across the hall. He opens up to Uma as time goes on because she lets him open to her. Uh, but then with David Caruso, he's like a child. He never actually opens up, and that's yeah. Until, until the one until, the one time yes. he does, the one time he does after that that liquor store holdup, he tells him he, he pissed himself pulling out his gun. But the scene before that, he says, uh, "Hey, can you call me Wayne?" Which right. makes you think he's they're, trying. They're a little bit alienated. There's a bit of a distance between these two. Right. They're not quite friends, but you they're see, they're like job acquaintances. Every time they're at the bar together, he never looks at Caruso. He's always just like, can we get through this conversation so you get out of here so I can just have my drink? Because he's just like, I don't want to bother anymore. He does, he's he's given up at his job. No, I think his what, body I think language is, is... I don't think it's like he's given up. He's like in the routine. Like right. that, that's, that's that's his life. That's like he's, 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 I don't think I don't think he like he he uh I think he's settled. Cause mm-hmm. like um because when he talks about like like in this conversation with Uma Thurman, like uh like you know, little character reveal, like when he talks about like how uh he wanted to become an artist, uh, but I don't think he uh, in the conversation he didn't realize that like later he wanted to be an artist. Uh really he became a cop because he overcorrected because he mm-hmm. grew up with his dad being a a hat salesman or some kind of salesman, and like he like he knew his dad was a hard worker, but he saw people push him around his whole life. So he's like, "Yeah, right. no, I don't. I didn't want to grow up to be that. So I may have overcorrected a little bit and yeah. <laughs> became a cop. Uh, but deep down, he wanted to be a uh, uh, artist. But then, as he goes on with the conversation, because like you see all his photos around his apartment, uh, he he realized within like his career, uh, despite the fact that he likes wants to be an artist, deep down he's he's still a cop because he acts and thinks and behaves and like goes out like a cop he's analytical and like uh and like in the conversation he talks like he spoke to like artists in a commune like at some point in his career and like it, it was I, I think some artists or him like in the conversation that he's like flashing back to uh he realizes like all the things that he's photographing are things that he finds he discovers and that kind of like is goes leans into how he is a cop because like you go in and you got to go investigate and find things so like things that he photographs for uh, pleasure versus like things he has to photograph for work like they no matter how like different they are in terms of uh the context of what he's photographing um it but like the still the process is still <clears throat> the same he's just going out and discovering things whether on the work at the, at the yeah, same so, time he also is taking private crime scene photos and framing them in his house like yeah 
because yeah, a, little like, a, a little bit of a questionable vibe there. I mean, not gonna lie, like uh, they they do like they do look like good photos. Like, they, like oh, you know, sure. I love photography. That's fine. And, like, yeah. I'm sure they are, but though. he doesn't have scruples though, because every once when Frank comes to the police station, um, and he's like charmed everybody in the police station, so you're thinking like, oh, these people could be corrupt. He's the one that's just like maybe a little pro- little professional, a little professional. <laughs> like don't come into my workplace you know? yeah. comes in bringing pineapple upside down cake you know yeah, did yeah. Look good too. oh yeah then he yeah, made it right it. side up in the trash can <laughs> yeah oh, <geez. laughs> yeah um well so we, we didn't really talk about mike star but i i did like a lot of his points like he he doesn't get a lot to do but his range is good enough to to convey that he's also he's happy to be where he is in life but he won't take you know pushing back as an answer like he wants to fight caruso the whole time he's loyal that was seething from the beginning he's a gentle giant he's the thing is like he's a gentle giant and like he's big and imposing so you don't want to mess with him but like he's being polite about everything like absolutely nice and courteous but don't fuck with him (laughs) my point is i think he knows that frank wants to be a comic and he's supportive of that so he's already a good friend that frank frank could go off with him but he's kind of too dumb for frank to deal with so i don't know if that's what is is probably why he he just kind of lets lets like why frank lets him just kind of be there when he is around and just kind of like do his own thing sort of uh because like like while he's at the uh, uh, police station, uh, while Frank's palling around with the other cops, he walks in. And he's like, even like he just grabs a piece of cake. Like just not doesn't doesn't like ask Frank for permission. He's just like, yeah, just grabs it. And like you gonna, all right. He seems like one of those guys who like yeah, a gentle giant that does his. You know, it's like he does what he does. He's one of those yeah. guys who like never aspired to be the boss, but it's just you know, he's he's been around for a while. So he's happy to be a lackey. He's a company man, yeah. you know. And he's with one of the easiest guys to follow around. Yeah. So. And, and and like one one of the and it goes in line with that whole lackey thing because like uh when he's talking to De Niro and uh inviting him to the club, it's like, hey, come, don't come, either way, I get paid. Yeah. <laughs> like he's chill, he's cool, he's fine. Everything is hunky dory. Yeah. 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 He's kind of a fascinating character that they don't go enough into. But... And then it goes into. Um, going back to Kathy Baker too and mm. her whole storyline, yeah. like it it felt like she also didn't really get that much to do. She was just sort of like a B plot because she's the neighbor who lives across the hall, and uh, point, maybe even a C plot. <laughs> supposed right, well that's the thing is like the way she's introduced, you're supposed to think like okay, are they, you know, it's another potential romantic person, but then you find out later on that she's dating another cop who ends up like punching her around yeah which you know then i guess is supposed to show de niro's or um it's supposed to show wayne's um you know his opportunity to stand up but then that's when you actually see david caruso stand up to the other guy yeah well he actually gets uh he gets one opportunity and uh, Crusoe gets a second opportunity later right. after De Niro explains the situation to him at the bar. It was a nice moment of seeing authority figures talk, you know, try to put other authority figures in their place. Yeah. yeah. 
I, so, I do think Kathy Baker's more of a tool to facilitate the other characters around right. her, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, she doesn't she's get obviously, enough, enough character. Yeah, like all the but, other supporting characters, I feel like you could have um, branched out and done character studies on any of those other characters. It would have been a fascinating movie, which is yeah. probably why I feel so novelistic. I think that's why I like this movie, because it has enough layers that you could want to go off and see what the supporting characters are up to, but they just... The, the point of them supporting the main two or three right. is to make it layered. So usually the supporting characters are almost like usually the, the supporting characters in movies like this are like uh, a generalized version of the Bechdel test. Like right. do they have interior lives outside of the plot? Right. But when you watch a movie like this, you're just like, oh you know what? I would be interested to see what David Caruso does when he goes home at night. Right. Does I'd he have a wife? See what happens with Mike Starr after he clocks out. Yeah. He, he obviously brings a couple of other cops over to help Wayne at the end. So obviously Dude. they actually like him despite picking on him. You know. Well, you know I, don't, I, don't, I don't think they pick. On I don't think they pick on, on, on him. Yeah. Well, they, they call him mad because call... he's because it's kind of a joke about him. Because he's timid. Too timid. Yeah. Like so they're picking on him. But when he's four, at the crime scene, picking on him. Well, he's at the crime scene. He takes the lead. He's like, I think this blood spatter means this, and they're like, okay, okay. But 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 he he kept a calm, cool uh, tone about him. He wasn't shaky. He wasn't like he like his characters seemed like he knew what he was saying. But it turned out later on in the uh, movie, we find out like no, things were okay. He was scared. He was shitting his pants internally. Like he was just like, oh no, oh no, oh no. And like right. uh, he's he's watching he's watching a cop movie uh, at some point, and like he sees a cop pull out a gun and kill uh, a criminal, <laughs> and he's like, why why couldn't I do that? Like that's that's a social expectation, right? Like that's what a cop should do. Right. I think that's why the name is ironic. So, so in the beginning of the movie, it's like he rejects the titles. Like, no, no, don't call me that. Yeah, right. Right. And, then and then you find then out why. And then at the on. end, he's like, okay, no, nah, no, nah, you, you, you yeah. call me Mad Dog now. Yeah, because it was more like he was being made fun of in the beginning. Like, nah. Okay. All right. I think I, I think I get what Jimmy's on too. Yeah. He grew into his. He grew into his nickname. Although I do think it's funny. Like, well, it's it's interesting because like in the beginning. He's very, um, like obviously, yeah. Timid gets thrown around a lot, but like he's very meticulous with his crime scene photos, and like he pulls on, he puts on these little readers, and he looks way older than he's supposed to be, and it's just oh, like, he is he's literally just a, just an old man doing this, which then makes it a little bit more questionable when when he and glory hook up later but she's 22 she's 22 and he's like 47 oh. at this point yeah but anyway um but then like after that happens then he's literally singing at a, the next crime scene that he's at oh yeah he's singing at a dead body i'm like Turns on a jukebox in the middle of a diner of the crime scene and just like and nobody questions it <laughs> That's just that's just mad dog. They're watching very cautiously, like, wait, what's going on? And they're like, oh, you know, he's having a good time. They're just kind of just like going with it. I don't know, man. So uh what would we grade this film? Probably give it an A minus. I think I think I think it balances. Yeah, I love it. I think it balances um it balances the uh, the more solemn subject matter of the movie, which uh, actually in that first scene, it's played not for laughs. That gangland shooting is not played for laughs. Actually, in black and white, I'm guessing probably because of the MPAA. Mm. Um, 
but I think it uh it's on that that razor's edge of being too serious, too dramatic, and then comedic at the same time. It's like middle brow, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. And I think the the role reversal works perfectly. I think uh, I think so. I think Murray's <clears throat> level when he needs to be, and he's threatening when he needs to be. And I think uh, De Niro's great at playing kind of a <laughs> kind of a introverted sad sack. And they got great chemistry together. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was I was I was gonna give it an A minus too. Oh nice. great. Oh, that's nice. I agree. Uh-oh. Oh, I'll give mine first because Jeff's giving a grimace. Uh, I was gonna give it an A plus. This is one of my favorite movies nice. we've covered. Awesome. I, I liked it even more this time because uh, Corey showed it to me in college uh, a few years into us knowing each other because he's like, Oh, you gotta see this. The role reversal is incredible. Yeah. And I, I remembered it fondly, but I was like, maybe I just liked it because it was something Corey and I shared, you know. But no, I, I like Bobby's uh, subtlety here. All the different changes he has with each character. That's why I brought that up. Mm-hmm. Uma shining before she's even in Pulp Fiction. So, uh, and I love Murray. But, Jeff. Uh-uh. No. I got to give it a yeah. C plus. God <laughs> damn it! Surprise! It was, like, some of the chemistry was good, but from a majority of it was just so disjointed for me that like I just couldn't. I kept turning to Tristan. I'm like, what? What is? What is this? What is going on right now? And I kept having to be like, just let it happen. This is not. <laughs> and it wasn't even just like, oh my god, I can't believe that happened. It was more like, why? Why? Why is this? Why? I, I can't, I'm having trouble following the logic with a lot of these decisions yeah. that they made. Um. So the performances were great. The script and direction left something to be desired. Um, and yeah. you know, I guess we're not covering wild things when that comes. No, out. I mean, we, who knows? <laughs> you never know. The old switcheroo, where you know Scorsese puts his name on just as producer. So you're going thinking, oh man, I'm gonna get a Scorsese movie, and then like, nope, nope, nope. Got the tone of like after hours. You know, years yeah. later. Years later, I remember the other big role reversal movie was uh, Pineapple Express. Oh, right, because Seth Rogen was going to play the stoner. Yeah. James Franco could play a cop it. or like a meek. And everybody praised that like it was so inspired. And I was like, I've seen this. And this was the prime example. It's done well and well, it works. But Jeff like, hates it, so... I, I didn't say I hated it. I said I gave it a C+. Trash. Well, Corey's C it. is everyone else's F, so... Whatever. I said what I said. <laughs> I know. It's he fun. was. He kept looking at me like, "Why are we doing this one?" Oh God, he ain't going like next month. The the, 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 the <laughs> I don't know when when the when the sex scene was going on for a four minute take. I'm like, what? It's supposed to be awkward. Yeah, but like, not that much. The audience isn't supposed to feel that awkward. Yeah, uh, vicarious awkwardness. But like, it's supposed, but to supposed to feel for him. Yeah, and, we, and it yeah, ended up being more like, okay, cool, yeah, good had, for you, buddy. When's the Why am I still sex? here? We don't know. Yeah. Well, he says two years, two years, and he says, "Right, make love," and she Which liked is, that. Like something from medieval times. That. Yeah. <laughs> he's so a romantic. ironic hero. Yeah. He 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 he's so meek that he's ironically romantic. He's chivalrous. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, okay. Uh, I'm not saying you guys are wrong. I'm just saying it felt like, you know good for him he he got his goal 
but then we're just still sitting in the room for like two, five minutes. You don't like, like being a boy. You guys want to like? They got it. They got the door. Like, what do we... come on, I it's think, the night. I think Jeff just didn't like watching with Jimmy and I in the room. That's all. It was a little uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, I you two left for a little while. <laughs> I mean, you two were sitting next we're to each other on the couch. We're all gonna watch Eyes Wide Shut in '99 together. Mm-hmm. Oh, Same room. Cool. Same room. But that's not a hidden gem. Everybody knows about that. Yeah, it's coming back. Everyone, there's there's so many references to it. Yeah. I guess. Be the Kubrick there's special. Really, there's really no hidden gem for Kubrick. Maybe his early stuff, like Paths of Glory, even oh, that. Yeah. Killing is not well yeah, regarded. The, the first two. The Killing Game? Oh, I love that one. That was a good one. I know it's a great movie, but I don't think people talk about it. Oh, I yeah. Mostly no. those two are because. Like, you'd have to be like a, uh, like, serious, his, like, movie buff or like. Uh... Lolita, people don't really talk about either. Now that now that Jeff condemned the whole movie, um, there's other <laughs> movies that he might condemn this month. Happy to help. You know what, uh, <laughs> what would have been up uh, Jeff's alley more? Oh boy, this this movie would not have been up Jeff's alley. Uh, Amos and Andrew. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> now, just from that title, if anybody now this is really gonna date me, but uh, does anybody remember the radio program Amos and Andy? Which yeah, I don't remember that. Yeah. Which played on racial stereotypes because it, it when when did it come out originally? Like the fifties, I think. Yeah, maybe even earlier. Maybe. Um. So this is like a playing off of that. It's actually it's Nicolas Cage and Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson is this like uh, affluent author who moves into a um a neighborhood, a very ritzy neighborhood, and some of the his white neighbors think that he's breaking into his house. So they call the cops, and then it escalates from there. And in order to stave off embarrassment from the police force, they hire Nicolas Cage, who's this small-time crook, to go in there and ransack the place and say it was him that they, the cops were called on. Um, it's got it. It's a it's an ingenious premise that's done at the most sophomore level, mm. because that one joke premise just kind of runs out of gas pretty fast. Oh, and it's a comedy. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a it's comedy. A comedy. <clears throat> um, same too, because it's from uh, E. Max Fry, who's one of the writers of The Simpsons during its heyday, like the early 90s. But uh, like I said, the, the premise doesn't sustain for like the whole runtime. So mm. Sam, Samuel Jackson has two bombs in a row. Yeah. Because he had our poster boy last month. Oh, that was a bear. Um, a remake born yesterday came out this month. Oh, right. It's a remake. Yeah, I've never seen the original, so I can't comment on that. I did see the remake. It's mildly charming. Uh, John Goodman is in the movie. He's really good. He plays this um <clears throat> this contractor who goes to Washington and is being interviewed by uh, Don Johnson. Newspaper because he wants to get um he wants to get some sway with uh, some politicians for a project he's working on, and his girlfriend is this ex stripper, which is Melanie Griffith, and Don Johnson gravitates towards her, and she needs like a Pygmalion makeover. Mm-hmm. Um, were they were they together at this point? I believe so. Where they met on this? Actually, yeah, I, I think they were married at this point already. Yeah, I don't know. How Dakota? Dakota. I don't even know how yeah. Dakota holds Dakota at this point. Yeah. Um, 
But um, they they have some good chemistry. I think the ending. Born in eighty nine. Okay, so yeah, so she's four at this point. <clears throat> um, weirdly enough, Don Johnson is the one that's in the movie that's kind of a stiff. Mm. I usually, I think he's one of those actors who's grown in esteem over the years. Like now, you see John Johnson in something, you're like, oh wow, he's really good in that. Mm. But I think back then he was kind of like hampered by his good looks because everybody kept thinking about Miami Vice. He was kind of that matinee idol type. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a lot of depth. He was a little superficial. I think now he's grown into like a good character. Yeah, um, showing up in stuff like uh, Knives Out and Knives Out, uh, Cell Block 99. Yeah, what was the... Oh, and uh, there's a couple of Tarantino things he's been in. Yeah. He's had, he's had his own uh, second chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, the trilogy capper for the TMNT movies came out this month, which yeah. was later subtitled Turtles in Time on home video, but was not yeah. during the theatrical release. Just really, uh, yeah, yeah, they added that. They added okay. that. Um, I'm actually surprised nobody ever brought that up in the entirety of my life and hanging around really? so many nerds. Oh, really? really? Yeah, wow. and especially so many of them being like. You know, in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I'm that should have come up at least. I just figured. I know knew. what they were trying to do. They were trying to capitalize on the popularity of that video game. That's absolutely what it is. Which was a great. Game, it's a great game. The game but it has nothing to do earlier. with the movie. Yeah, the game had come out earlier. I thought like '92. Well, that's probably what it is. They were probably trying to base it off the popularity of that. I mean, that's basically what it is. The turtles go back in time to. I know, Japan. but the 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 game goes. Other places, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the game was not made because of this, which I think some people assumed. But and um by this point they were cutting with the production. So if you notice the turtle uh pseudomation is a little bit cheaper. Really? This is some I know I know this is a contentious uh topic for you, but um I thought when we talked you liked these. No, no, I the movie's got a worse reputation than it deserves. Mm-hmm. I don't I actually think Stuart Wilson's really good as the villain. Mm-hmm. The basic plot is they go back to feudalistic Japan through a magic lantern. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna they, let you they switch places with samurai. Yes. Which you know what's funny? You would think that like based on that, the the choreography of the fight scenes would be better. <laughs> but it's okay. not so much. They didn't have uh, Ernie Reyes anymore. That's the problem. That you're right about that. So, um, and was Paige Turner April in the second movie? So, so Paige Turco is Turco. so Judith Haig wanted more money after the first film, so Paige Turco replaces her in the second one, and uh, then they sort of did this back to back kind of like Back to the Future two and three, and so they were able to almost pay her uh, the rate for both of them, which is another reason Haig is kind of right. Um, <laughs> so. The interesting thing is, and I, I have never really gone to look for this, but Elias Coteus doesn't show up in the second film, but he comes back for the third. So Casey Jones interacts. It's with funny. I always pictured him being in all three. He's not. He's just not in the second one, and they don't explain where he is. So you're left to assume he's just somewhere else. It's not like they just didn't go get him when s- stuff happened with yeah. Token Razar and Shredder coming I back. I guess Ernie Reyes Jr. was the one replacing him, kind of. Exactly, yeah. 
And I don't know if they thought they were going to have different sidekicks each time and they decided to bring Elias back. But a weird thing they do is, so Elias Koteas stays and watches the Japanese people, can't talk to them. So there are all these goofy scenes to him, like introducing them to 1993 New York City. And Splinter's still back there. And then there is another character in feudalistic Japan that's an Englishman working under Stuart Wilson or just living in Japan named It looks exactly like him. That's him. There's no other Paige Turco that she switches with. So it's a little odd why they even... It actually does a good job in that dual role. Yeah. But I think there's something else that that they must have wanted to do that they just sort of kept wit in. It's it's an excuse to have Elias Coteas there. But it almost feels like he should have gone with the other five characters. Right. And I don't know why he didn't. The script is kind of a mess. Um, Like I said, I think actually when they do go to feudalistic Japan, I think the actual set design and production design is pretty good. Less, I think the title (laughs) suits are a little bit cheaper, but Uh, that's negligible. Um, I uh, I also want to point out that the one thing that I really like is Raphael is supposed to be going through some stuff about not being the leader, which he always sort of has throughout the like entire franchise. All three of them. Right. And uh, he gets a poignant moment with a <laughs> Japanese boy and he learns what it's like to be like a father. So he sort of understands Splinter's place better. And they actually, the music throughout the three films is genuinely brilliant. They... Right have this theme when he's with the boy that sort of plays on splinter's theme from the first movie and so it sort of actually wraps itself into the other films that way so there's some subtlety there that uh makes this actually pretty good for fans of the turtles if if you're willing to accept some goofiness some messiness you know it's, it's not as good as the first film but it still has some good things in it I saw another remake came out this month. Um, Point of No Return. I didn't know that was a remake. Yeah, you know Little Femme Nikita? Oh, right. We did mention this when that when Nikita came up back yeah. in 1990 or 91. We did it as yeah. a poster boy. We did mention that there's like five iterations. So yeah, I guess well, we've, we've caught up to the second one. There's I knew two waves of shows because obviously <clears> we knew about the most recent one was with Maggie Q. Right. In and the then there was one during the 90s. Right after this, like ninety five <clears throat> yeah. through ninety eight or something. It is uh, John Badham uh, remaking the Luc Besson French movie La Femme Nikita. Uh, it's Bridget Fonda this time as the uh, female assassin. He seems to have like made a whole genre of these. I feel hmm. these international assassin movies because uh, Anna came out like what, a couple of years ago. It's basically the same premise. Um. Only this movie comes off uh, unintentionally laughable. It's really? not a, it's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think actually John Badham's a pretty good journeyman director. Um, but the casting in this is atrocious. I Bridget Fonda never comes off as the most delicate way I could say charismatic. <clears throat> um, and the action scenes are kind of rote. Oh, uh, what can you do? What can you do? Um, 
Robert Sean Leonard was in a musical. The second movie this musical. month, but the first, yeah. the first one is probably the. I don't even know how this did actually. So I know this is the more popular of the month. If I remember correctly, it might be in our guide about it was of the, in of the music related movies within the nineties that starred Christian Bale. This is the lesser one. It's Swing mm-hmm. Kids. Um, a very didactic bludgeoning <laughs> um drama about yeah. uh supposedly Nazi youth, but they they sanitized the third Reich in such a way that it's almost mm. like Kenneth Branagh is the heroic Nazi. Oh yeah, I forgot and the kind of remember that. Yeah, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. So Wait, what was this movie again? Swing Kids. Swing Kids. Oh, Swing Kids. You love that. Yeah, have you seen it? I I, I saw it once in genocide studies in high school. <laughs> Boy, it's not an accurate portrayal of that. Um. Yeah, the the movie itself, it almost, I don't know, I don't think it was produced by Disney or Touchstone, but if it was, it it feels very, very watered down. Swing Kids truly bombed. It made five million total. It came in 10th the week that Mad Dog and Glory came out in fifth place. (laughs) Luckily, Mad Dog and Glory beat Amos and Andrew, though. Thank God. There's some justice in the world. Yeah. So yeah, um, Robert Sean Leonard's fine in the movie, uh, and actually, Christian Bale's a little hammy in the movie. Surprisingly, yeah, he's still uh, trying to get rid of this. But like I said, that for a movie that's set in Nazi Germany, it pulls a lot of punches. Oh. And nobody's using a German accent. Yeah, everybody's using American accents. I think I think what There's they're no trying. No line to... of dialogue that says that they're American expats either. Ever. Yeah. No, I think what it is is like is that is that that style of like trying to get the audience to really relate to the uh um you know characters, uh, especially not Nazi Germany. It's like why make them German? Make them sound American so that way American students or young American kids they when they watch done. this, they could be like, oh, I could see how I could fall in love with the Nazi party because of my dumb ass. Be like, yeah, maybe. What they should have done know. is what they did in Hunt for Red October, where at first they're speaking Russian. And then transitions over to English, which they also did for Valkyrie. Like that's a, I know it seems kind of like hackneyed way to like make it more accessible to American audiences, but I don't know. It would have made more sense than not have any line of dialogue explain why they all speak in English. Yeah, because I I know, uh, I know there's like there's a lot of like old with uh, English. themed when i mean english i mean like england england not english yeah. like the language uh with the accent and everything when there's an english uh type um movie and it takes place like something like period piece like let's say something medieval i've caught times where they'll they'll throw in like a whole bunch mm-hmm. of like different accents like you know convey a region class um and every now and then like uh there'll be some movies they'll throw in an American person with a fully American accent, and they're like, "Why was that person in there?" And the like, the director would be like, "His accent, the that American accent, worked in the film, right? You only noticed it was American because it was American, but like for the character, it fit because like the person wasn't acting like a, a obnoxious, like you know, modern American. He's very enunciated, proper speaking. So like, they felt like they still fit in, even though they had an American accent. And right. it was like basically, and like some of these movies are like." 
I know. One of them was um, I think uh, a Shakespeare. Uh, Shakespeare. Uh, who was Mel, who Mel was, Gibson has an Australian accent? In the King world. Henry. Something like it. Who, who was in it? Was it Kenneth? I have no idea. This is English history. Uh, English Henry, class back Henry in high school. Like, Brown, this came yeah. Yeah. Was it Kenneth? It was like uh, we were watching, and it was like one dude with an American accent, and like that's when I found out I about like, it. Was like I mean, uh, Robin Williams shows up in the '96 Hamlet. As, <laughs> oh God, uh, Yorick. So. Yeah, no, it was. Yeah, no, it wasn't a uh, Robin Williams. It was. This was like an older dude from like the '60s and '70s, and like he was like a Jack Lemmon. Jack Lemmon's at the beginning know. of Hamlet. He yeah. played one of the guards. Yeah, was it could have been yeah. like this was, been that. Oh, that so would make sense. <laughs> yeah, that would that sounds sense. about like Jack Lemon, which is yeah. one of Corey's favorites. He is he's my actually wait, you said guard, guard, right? You <laughs> yeah, said guard, right? Okay, that guard. yeah, no, then it was then it was Hamlet with Jack Lemon. Nice. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, like but like that, every like, like every now and then, like you'll, you'll you'll have movies set in like foreign places in different timelines, and they'll randomly throw an american accent in there simply <laughs> because it fits the character like, so like uh, if, if for for swing kids if it like if they want them to fit the character and just like yeah no fuck it let's stick with a you know an american accent like i, I think the idea was to like make it more relatable. Uh, relatable to the american audience to say like hey look nazism happened over there and it can happen here just That's, don't don't don't, point. don't don't separate yourself uh, they they force the audience not to separate themselves because of the accent because right. you already have the time difference, the era from the 40s yeah. and the 90s. So from like, they want them to be like, because yeah. um, right. when was that experiment that the, uh, that some high school teacher pulled out of his ass oh, where he like, like basically, uh, um, basically organized his class into oh, yeah, like basically fascism that. just to prove a point. Like, yeah, no, this can happen today very easily. Yeah, I don't remember uh, when it happened, but yeah, you reminded me of uh, uh, accents in other films. Harvey Keitel in The Last Temptation of Christ. What are you talking about? Who could say what we want to do here in Arizona? You want to walk through the <laughs> desert? Yeah, yeah. What's the matter with you? All right. So Robert Sean Leonard had another film this month, which he did. interesting. While we were having this discussion, I went away a little bit and looked into the the box office, and I couldn't find the other film, and I didn't know why. I don't this think movie, released theatrically, did it? In our when we pick out the movies for uh, each month, we look at Wikipedia just to get a generalized release date. Married to it uh, is listed in there uh it's this film about three yuppie couples uh robert sean leonard is with um yeah mary sewer masterson i always forget her name uh so mary sewer masterson is with robert sean leonard and uh then you have ron silver with sybil shepherd and then you have Bo bridges with uh stalker channing and so they're all decent actors it's it's just about like growing up and they're all at three different periods in their lives like once one couple's trying to have a baby one couple's just got married one couple is on the rocks so you can see that it's like a, a separation of what could happen in a full marriage and that's all it is it's just a nice film my parents liked watching it because i'm sure they're the same age as robert sean leonard and, and masterson so i think they could see themselves in it so i saw this a bunch on my tv off and on because they'd stop and watch half the film you know, it's one of those things they catch on the movie channel. Um, Arthur nice, Miller directed, right? Nice heartfelt ending, yeah. Uh, so it seems like it's good. But looking into it, I just saw that it actually came out in 1991 in Canada and didn't get released until now. And it has a 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I feel like this got dumped. It made yeah. at most a million dollars. It's not listed on the, the box office website we use. So maybe it didn't really come out. Maybe it went to cable. 
Yeah, that's actually what Ebert says. Ebert says this seems like it was destined for cable, and I don't know why it didn't just do that. There goes the neighborhood was basically a cable movie that we reviewed. Right. So this is along the same lines. I liked it, but I haven't seen it since '94, probably. So maybe '95. You know. But it's the thing my parents liked, and I I remember specifically because this is his other film. Robert Sean Leonard shined out of the six of them the most. So it's what? just time to shine. Oh, hey. welcome back, Jeff. <laughs> Jeff can get off his Blackberry okay. and back into the show. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, yep. pal. Oh. Well, since we're in the 90s, it's just the AOL sample disc. <laughs> yeah. Well. I didn't hear the dial tone, though. Okay. So, yeah. uh, this may be fairly obvious, but these this was the best poster of the month. So, I just want you to describe it and try to figure out what this is about. <clears throat> it, may, it may be easy, but at I don't first, mind throwing you a, 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 a little curveball. At first glance, it looks like a giant lightsaber, but... <laughs> Uh, it looks like there's a sky beam coming from the night sky into a lake of sorts. Um, big thing that reaches out of me from the uh, the tagline here, it says, based on the true story. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. So there's a beam <laughs> shining, through the, shining through the trees, probably. I'll throw at you night. off. I feel like, I want, like, initially I wanted to say it's the close encounters of the third kind. It's but now that I see based on a true story, I want to say Men in Black, but that didn't come out in 93. So <laughs> I wish. Um, all right. But they want you to think. So it's something I don't I don't know. The sky beam keeps making me think aliens, but that's not not the case. Uh is that the plot you think it's about? I'm I'm maybe. Or you know, that beam could just be you blurring things out. No, so, well, you never know, yeah. Or it could be a uh wait, hang on. Or there's just someone standing there in the corner because it looks like it's in like a mountainous landscape. Oh somewhere up north. Oh boy. Oh he might have he's getting close. He might have seen what I did. Abduction. Oh wow. Santa yeah, I'm Claus impressed origins. you saw what I blurred out. Nice. Uh, yeah. Okay. So this is it. The only thing I blurred out now is the top left corner is the tagline, which gives away the plot of the movie. So it's not really a tagline. <laughs> and then just... the title is in between the two yellow lines. So I'm gonna guess so this, this dude, have. this dude that is clearly like levitating, gets imbued with either superpowers or a religious fanaticism that he touches the lives. He's actually footloose too. He's dancing. Yeah. That's a spotlight. Right. Okay. Yeah. Dirty space dancing. <laughs> yeah. Um. Is he? He's not close, if I remember correctly. But other uh, than the aliens, that Robert Patrick. Oh yeah, I blurred out the title. Is in you see has DB Sweeney, Robert Patrick, Craig yeah. Schaefer. DB Sweeney should be that guy. Okay. Yeah. I didn't blur it out because I figured you might not know this film anyway. I um, I, I the title is maybe Sweeney anyway out of it's right. a guy image, right? Yeah. I don't know. All all I can think of from if I'm taking this poster literally 
dude gets superpowers or abducted by aliens um right so what would you call either of those films i don't mind hearing a title for both of those plots north by northwest (laughs) (laughs) um the powers that be okay or that's for the religious or or hang on hang on pacific sunrise uh enlightened (laughs) that war during hbo show Right. No, the visit. So, what would you call it if it were an alien visitors abduction movie? What would I call it? Take me now. That could work for either. That sounds like a Cinemax sex. It's a it's a remake of Take Me Take Me Home Tonight, but it's just aliens. You (laughs) see, this was actually actually this whole time. This is a cover to a porno. Wow, could you imagine? I feel like Jimmy knows this movie. Do you Camping. know what this is? I have. I'll know when you re- reveal the title. So no, Camping in the sky. I was gonna say. I think he'll know. The, I I could have seen it and just never known the I'll title. I'll give you. I'll give you the plot because this is what the tagline will reveal. Stabbed by God. <laughs> Jeez. All right. Alien abduction, November fifth, nineteen seventy-five, five forty-nine p.m. White Mountains, northeastern Arizona. It's just Area Fifty-One. <laughs> That's up in Nevada. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, Actually, that is kind of close to Nevada. Right. Mm. I don't. Manhattan Project. No, that's too late. Say, give him a clue. Would you, what would you call this now that you have that plot? I mean, it has. Raising Arizona. (laughs) Actually, I like that. That's fun. (laughs) Good, good bit. You want to give him a hint, or do you want me to just reveal the title? Um, you can kind of I never mean, get this. I mean, where is he, what, what direction is he looking? Up. Up towards. Toward the sky. Vanilla oh, is sky. <laughs> sky. Oh. I'm a Sky's the limit. Yeah, this is is tough. If, Upwards. If, if, you're, sky. if you're, we're not playing charades, so yeah. it's kind of tough unless you just come up with it accidentally. But yeah. It's not a phrase. Fire in the oh, sky. fire in the sky. Jimmy knows this one. So he lit up and thought he got abducted. No, I don't know. Like, uh, if um, you guys talk about it. If anything rings any bells, I'll let you know. Because like this, the uh, poster's not doing it for me. And the title's not doing it for me. So I don't know if I've seen this or not. I don't think you guys would have even heard of this. I, I would have thought he. I thought I would have thought Jimmy a, may have heard of it. This is a cable staple, but it's not really popular so it's it's hard to justify you guys haven't heard of it a cable staple you know what it is i thought maybe it was more popular because it was like x files was around this time so it kind of dealt with aliens too so fair enough um i just watched it for the podcast i actually thought it was pretty good oh yeah Um, all the stuff that's um reenactments of his uh subjective point of view from aboard the ship is chilling. It's actually really well done. Hmm. And um, given that goofy premise, they 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 were smart in hiring James Garner to play the uh, sheriff investigating because he lends some credence to the uh, movie. And actually, all the uh, all the other actors are pretty good. Um, Robert Patrick is his DB Sweeney's friend who's trying to tell the police like we're not making this up. Our friends appeared in the sky, and yet everybody in town thinks that 
they probably murdered him. Hmm. So um, it's part procedural and not until the end do they show what may have happened aboard the ship. Hmm. <clears throat> so it's actually pretty good as a speculative like science fiction drama. Yeah. And it it sounds, worth it sounds good. Yeah. Maybe maybe we should have uh, done this. Jeff might have liked it better. Yeah. yeah. Maybe the alien and DB Sweeney should switch roles. I'm sorry, I'm deviating. I'm abducted by a human man. <laughs> Nobody believes me. It's okay. Corey like doesn't like most of the stuff we do. So, why? <laughs> You're allowed to uh, not like. There, there needs to be like a Weird Al type biopic about how Bill Murray was returned by the aliens in exchange for someone else uh who do you think we should cover for our picks of the month we talked about this before we started recording but the obvious choice might be robert de niro i think uma thurman but uma thurman uh pops up in bigger things the rest david of the caruso weekend. does she yeah david caruso <laughs> is pretty much done no, <laughs> no, no, no. that's not necessarily no, true. He, he, he shifts to, to have television a- he, well, he tries to go through movies. Yeah. At one point, he leaves. Yeah. NYPD Blue starts this year, and then he leaves after a season. Yeah. Because he thinks he be could big. do stuff in films, but he can't. Kiss of death. We've learned that he can't. So, well, he can't do about... stuff as the lead. He does stuff as a side. How about? He's great as a side. Right. He just picked the wrong projects and then had to yeah. fall back into TV. And then he got 12 seasons and he's retired because he doesn't have to do shit anymore. He made all that CSI money. How about so, uh, Mike Starr? I know, I know you guys were I'd interested be cool in Mike Starr earlier. I like Mike Starr. Pick our favorite. Oh, you know what? I have a Mike Starr, actually. Okay. No, we, don't have, we don't have to do Mike Starr. I'm just throwing No, let's do Mike Starr. I don't know him in anything other than this got, right now. Yeah, really? like I might I have seen Mike. him in, in something else, but I like I don't I don't know Mike Starr that well. I know like, I know what Tristan's like, gonna pick. A movie. Do you? I I can guess. Go ahead. Ed Wood. Nope. Didn't remember a minute. Hmm. I hope you're not gonna pick the one I'm gonna pick. Probably not. Um, Goodfellas is out. I don't count that. It's too easy. He's in a ton of these Italian mafia films. That's the whole thing. It's his part in a lot of these. I was going to uh, go with... He's always the heavy. I'm going with The Ice Harvest. Okay. That movie yeah. none of us have seen. Well, that well, now you can because I just recommended it. But he plays the heavy in that too and he's got a pretty big role. Mm-hmm. It's a good dark comedy set around the Christmas. Mm-hmm. Dark comedies around Christmas, always good. Yeah, yeah. Got to bring Billy it Bob down Thorne a little bit. It's Billy Bob Thornton and John Cusack, directed by Harold Ramis. No, no, no. Uh, I actually did see him in Kill the Irishman. Okay. Oh wow! So you like Kill? You like Kill the Irishman? I do like Kill the Irishman. Okay. Okay. He was in the Birdcage. Yep. Oh shit! He was in Clockers too. He's mm-hmm. in a lot of stuff. Yeah, he was in a lot of stuff. Dumb and Dumber. He's in a ton of stuff. Summer of Sam. Are you looking uh, at Jimmy? Tristan yeah, might Dynamite. as well. No, I'll, I'll say what I was going to do. Uh, there's a little horror film from 1985 that I picked, uh, Cat's Eye. Oh, that's a good one. Where is he in there? He's, um, I believe, with the... Um, I'm trying to think of his name, but it's... Robert Hayes? No, the... Uh, 
Oh, James Woods. He's in the James Woods segment. The he's Quitters in the, Inc. one. Right. He's in he's in that part where he's trying to get um, him to quit. Yeah, it's uh he's trying comedian? to get the money from um what's the comedian's name that plays the uh the doctor? Something King. Al- Alan King. Alan King. Yeah, he's in that part. So he's playing a heavy in that, but he's it's a good movie. He like starts it out and he he's the one I think he saves the cat so the cat continues on. The cats throughout all the stories. Yeah, the whole thing is like the cat is sort of unlucky at first because all these things happen around the cat and eventually the cat actually saves a little girl from a, a little gremlin. It's uh, Drew Barrymore. Yeah, so. And I yeah, was that, like that as a kid. That troll looks goofy, but. It's probably the first thing I saw Mike Starr in, actually. So I did like him in that. That is a good movie. Yeah. That's all derated. Stephen King movie, not a lot of people talking about. Yeah, because it's kind of like having one of his anthologies on screen, you know? Yeah, it's just not... I mean, it's never going to be as good as Creep Show, but it's good. Mm-hmm. I've never seen that. I, I should. Yeah, you should. But I also like uh, the movie Blown Away, which comes out soon in our... Hey, that's a good movie. You know, hey, how do we, we talk about that, maybe? I think we already picked what we're going to... Oh, it's 94. We could We could use that. God, the only reason I know that it was 94 is because it was the same year as Speed, right. and it got buried. I got my Mike Star movie. All right. Yeah, Go we ahead. might cover that. I have not, like, What's it took me a, at? yeah, it took me a while to find something on his Born on the fourth list. Because he no, had a lot of uh, stuff. Yeah, he's got a lot of stuff, and a lot of it I haven't seen, and it's mostly television. There's small parts, too. Yeah. Uh, Jersey Girl. Oh, <laughs> he's good in that. Yeah, yeah. he's Parlin's yeah. friend. That's right. Yeah. Like, I'm sitting there, like, what have I seen him in? And I was like, Jersey Girl. Like I like him in that. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is a weird eclectic mix of stuff. Yeah, I think we picked a good good character then. Because nice. you could easily go with Bobby De Niro, but he's definitely like a character actor that pops up in things rather than he's been in a billion things. Yeah, he's just, it's just it's been I, I remember mostly from television. So that's right. all. Yeah, yeah. So is De Niro. Yeah. Pretty good. Pretty good. So next month we're gonna cover another uh favorite actor of ours and sort of playing against type i think something that he doesn't usually do because he's usually just a comedian if i'm correct because i haven't seen this film that we're covering next month um yeah it's more of a dramatic performance yeah but uh danny devito stars in something called jack the bear which i had never heard of until Corey Corey was like we've got to do this i gotta watch this film so i don't even know what it's about i kind of want to say on this, we'll figure it out once we all watch it. So Steve Zalian wrote it. Yeah, this is the opinion of uh, digging deep and finding a hidden gem. So very excited to look. I've been looking forward to this since we picked it back in December. I I, I don't yeah. like how you did that hand gesture, d- digging deep and scooping? finding it. Like I like, scooped. Like, yeah, yeah. Like he's you got a veto in his hand. Right there. I, I like pulled a like heart just... out of someone. Oh, okay. see y'all next month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see ya. Uh...